This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you to 2017 Bites Into It, edition Ooh, one. Yeah. Yay! Happy uh, to be here. We have brushed the sunscreen off our nose. We've flicked the, um, the sand. The sand off from between our toes. And, uh, <laughs> we started getting poetic. <laughs> We have. Um, Dan uh, has got an amazing suntan. Um, he's been mowing the grass, I believe. I have, and that's not even a euphemism. I've just been out <laughs> in the garden a lot over the summer. It's been doing me good. Uh, over summer, we have been listening to White Noise by Namila Benson, which was uh, an amazing show. What, what sort of kept you coming back to that one, do you think? Oh, just um, different perspectives from the community, um, particularly from... Uh, a diverse section of the community, the black part of the community mm. in a lot of ways. Um, and just, yeah, really um, contemporary issues being being tackled with a lot of, a lot of uh, empathy and thought. Mm. It's good to hear people talking about stuff, uh, replacing a talk show over summer. So yes. uh, I feel like summer is the home for reflection and talking and, and getting together. So uh, that was great. Uh, obviously, we uh, do have uh, Vanessa Toholka uh, behind the desk tonight. Um, have you been using much technology this summer or have you been getting away from it? I did not do the digital detox this year. Maybe yeah. I eased up on the social media, but mm-hmm. um, I started contemplating uh, the music library and trying to get that into good shape. And mm. as anyone knows who loves their digital music, it's just an endless battle to try and keep that organised and weed out the stuff you're not listening to and make playlists out of the things you want to give more attention to and oh, yeah. trying out new albums. So it was really a music listening thing, but I turned it into a geeky exercise. What about you, Warren? Oh, uh, I um, did spend less time with technology. I read a lot of books, which was um, good. Some of them were about technology, so it was kind of not a complete <laughs> thing. It's like cheating on, on technology with technology thoughts. Pretty much. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I kind of spent less time doing um, silly stuff on my phone but trying to do more of the productive stuff on my phone so I didn't have to use my laptop or plug in or mm. be in a room or something like that. So, What about you, Mr Salmon? Was it about lawnmowers for you? Not entirely, although um, the lawnmower was a big part of it. I um, did step back from the technology in a way in that I, I read. I did read um, some some old uh, gothic classics, but I was reading them on my iPad. But I did turn off the Wi-Fi on my iPad so that I didn't have interruptions. Oh. It, it, it was actually um, kind of uh, cathartic. I also did uh, reorder all of the apps and everything on my uh, home <laughs> screen so that everything's a lot more... It makes a lot more sense now. But I that like was something that. that's been overdue for a couple of years. A bit of a spring clean. Yeah. That is a, a smart idea. Um, I'll be with you uh, on the show tonight as well. I'm Warren Davies. Um, if you've had some time off uh, over summer like we have, uh, you may have been playing games uh, like a lot of our listeners. Um, I'm excited about there's a, a new Nintendo uh, coming out in a few weeks' time, which is, uh, is big news. Uh, Lizzie Kane is a producer for the game studio League of Geeks and co-founder of Girl Geek Academy. Uh, she was recently named uh, by one of the uh, Blue magazines in the 30 Under 30 uh, to watch in gaming around the globe. Uh, she'll be joining us in a moment uh, to talk about that, which is really exciting. Um, and whether it's running a game studio, uh, whether it's a, a CIO role uh, or a sysadmin position, we do want more women in technology uh, for a whole host of reasons. Uh, Julie Fisher's book, Digital Divas, uh, Putting the Wow into Computing for Girls, recently won the 2016 Leonie Warren Prize. Uh, she joins us a little later to discuss uh, this wow factor. What is it? How do we get it? Uh, how do we wow more we girls We need all the technology? help we can get. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything would be great. Uh, but before we have a chat about that, uh, there is a bit of news. We can't take you back through uh, 10 or 11 or 12 weeks of technology news, but stuff that's come up um, in recent times that caught our eye includes uh, an interesting perspective on the end of privacy in uh, autonomous vehicles. 
so I think um, the thing that's interesting about that is we talked about um, the, I guess, the implications for how we um, how we commute and how we interact with the um, driving itself. Are we sitting in the back seat, the front seat, and what have you? But um, one of the things that did come up uh, as a piece of news is that uh, pretty much everything is going to be uploaded uh, into uh, into our collective um, memory. Um, yeah, and into the cloud, and you'll know where people have driven, and yeah. you know can probably imagine why they've driven there and yeah, yeah that could be that could be excellent data to get to kind of minimise trip taking. Yeah, I think from like um, open source kind of public transport projects and, and sort of car sharing systems and stuff like that, it's great. But from a, a, an individual perspective, which is obviously or often the first place that we come from, like you can't, you shouldn't know where I've been or what I've been doing or mm. extrapolate which places I went to and what have you. Yeah, but it's um, always great to have people thinking really carefully about not necessarily being... Um, being Private. I mean, the privacy is an important part of it, but also about striking that balance between collecting the data, but in a way that people aren't identifiable. Mm. So being practically anonymous. Yeah, it will. Uh, some of the uh, vehicles um, will capture continuous high definition, high frame rate, three hundred and sixty degree video, um, which is uh, crazy. Um, I, yeah, I, I so do think of the poor services kind of like um, storing that as well. Like that's a lot of stuff to compress and store away somewhere. Yeah. And will it be like it is now? Oh, no, we can't get that video from the cars that were around you yes. because we wiped that after three hours because yeah. it just took too much space. Or. Something that won't die is the <laughs> Nokia 3310. Uh, Dan, what's going on here? It refuses to die. Speaking of uh, switching off from technology and uh, stepping back, the um, Nokia 3310, which I don't know about you guys, it was my first phone, um, is being relaunched now not by Nokia. There is a Finnish company called HMD Oi Global who have bought the rights to all of the Nokia, uh, I suppose, intellectual property and have um, announced that they're going to be re-releasing -re uh, the original brick, or not the original brick, but one of uh, at the end of February. I wonder if they still have a lot of the old components lying around and you can get like an original kind of like teal coloured one or will it be like a modern take on I reckon it? I can probably send um, them the parts oh. from my old one lying around. <laughs> it's not the first time they've re-released it though. Um, back in 2004, uh, they actually released um, the... Oh, sorry, no, it was tw uh, 2014, sorry. Um, but it was the Nokia 3310 shape, but it did have a three-inch um, touchscreen. It basically looked exactly exactly like a Nokia 3310 except it had a very small kind of iPhone looking screen on the mm. inside so resembled uh, a lot of the kind of earlier 3G smartphones. And at various times we've heard waves of popularity um, resurgence for not so smartphones particularly mm. from celebrities. Absolutely and 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 there was um, the case last year when Telstra turned off their 2G network of, oh. of, of the uh, young guy in WA who had the last Nokia 3310 <laughs> in Australia um, who was basically the only person using the 2G network and was asked to switch that. it off. I respect that so much because it's great when you get a piece of technology that does the job, it's reliable, we know how hard it is to find something reliable and you don't want to throw it away. Like you remember your excitement when you got it, it was so much money, it was mm -hmm. worth a lot and the idea of trashing these really special bits of technology, it's so wasteful, it feels awful it's, and yeah, I really yeah, respect since, that guy. Since it's become commonplace, it's just, you know, oh, you know, we're on to our seventh or eighth whatever phone and you just say, oh, it's just another one, I'll get another one in a couple of years. But 
you know, these, these old Nokias are still, you know, they've got a 29-day battery life and mm. they're, they're still useful as phones, which is what they were designed to do in the first place rather than being the computer that we attach our entire lives to. Mm. I wonder if uh, bits of our hardware uh, will be replaced so quickly once we all become cyborgs. Well, and what exactly. What um, think about this, do you think? Look, it wouldn't be a, a bite show that we loved without a little bit of Elon Musk news. Now, on February 13th, he was in Dubai and he spoke at the World Government Summit while he was there. What he had to say was, that over time he thinks we're going to see a closer merger of biological intelligence and digital intelligence. And what he's been suggesting is that humans need to embrace the concept of becoming part cyborg, having some sort of computer processing capacity so that we can actually keep up with artificial intelligence and interact with it in meaningful ways to keep directing it and being in charge. Just kind of like, so we're not dumb and dumber, kind of running well, around and the machines are like, come on, get into your car and you're like, where that's is That's right. Now he's often spoken about his fear of really deep artificial intelligence and how he thinks that's a threat to humanity. Mm. Um, So I think that this is one of the ways he thinks that we can adjust. He's also spoken about the massive disruption we're going to see to job markets and whether we might need a universal basic income. And he's saying to compete with all the autonomous robots, all the artificial intelligence, we might need a little bit of augmentation ourselves to keep up. Interesting. I hope I hope this is more of uh, what we can expect from uh, Elon this I year. I certainly hope so. He's, he's keeping us in business here. Uh, in the studio now, we have Lizzie Kane. Lizzie is a producer for the Game Studio League of Geeks and co-founder of Girl Geek Academy. Uh, I think on the geek side of things, she's fairly well qualified. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I have in both both of my titles so (laughs) thank you for coming in um we caught up over summer um you'd been kind of busy and there was lots going on and someone said um she's doing interesting things in games Mm -hmm. um she's a young person so we should we should talk about that um how did that feel had you been honored for what you've been doing in games before um i've i've received uh, awards before in the past but i think this one was the first at a international uh, scale like I've had um, like accreditation in Australia and that's awesome definitely but to get recognised by my peers from the world is incredibly incredibly humbling considering um, how small Australia is in comparison to the rest of the industry um, so I'm the only Australian in the games list this year so it, yeah it's been it's been a really amazing experience so far. Did you feel? Uh, did you feel like Melbourne has always punched at this level in terms of gaming? And there's lots of great studios, and we've had lots of kind of world-beating titles. Um, did you feel it was just natural that this should happen, or did you feel like you were stepping up? Uh, definitely. Um, we. I, I'm actually from Brisbane mm. originally. I um, haven't. Um, I've always wanted to leave Brisbane. <laughs> I love Brisbane, but it's definitely somewhere when I was at university, it just, I knew I would have to leave in order to really do what I wanted to do with my career. And that was work with the studio and work on games at a world-class level. So I moved down here because I had seen what was happening down in Melbourne. I was considering moving overseas as everyone does when they're at uni, they have these big dreams of working for AAA studios. And I started looking into it and it just wasn't what I really wanted. And also the leap to move overseas was a little bit daunting at that stage. I thought, I'll just see what happens in Melbourne and go Mm. from there. And as soon as I moved to Melbourne, I was meeting these people that were just making incredible games and had these huge visions for Melbourne as as a, like a, as a gaming community, not just making games. It was actually about making friends and about everyone, all studios being there for each other and not just about, you know, you making this game and that's that's kind of it. So as soon as I realised that that existed here, it's kind of been 
a, a, a natural thing for me to really want to showcase that on a on an international platform and really have these things like Forbes and have things like going overseas and going to conferences and stuff like that to really help showcase that Melbourne's amazing and everyone should move here. Everyone, all game studios should move to Melbourne so I don't have to keep going to America. As much as I love it, it's... We we have some amazing facilities here. We have some amazing people that are, like, championing it and it's just, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. We're all about controversial opinions here. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's great to hear <laughs> some of those being thrown down on the table yeah. already. Yeah. Now, Lucy, being in the featured in the 30 under 30, obviously you're uh, what we would consider a relatively young person in the scene. Officially, official title is I'm under 30. So yeah, I yeah. officially have that, yes. Yeah, so do you, do you get many... Um, slightly older timers in the industry telling you stories about where we've come from and um, have have you had any sort of wisdom shared with you from the network in Melbourne? Yeah, definitely. I actually had it shared with me from the very beginning when I started in, in Brisbane because Brisbane actually back in the day had an incredibly big gaming like, economy there and like they had studios like Chrome and Creative Assembly and Sega were all based in Brisbane back before my time they were all based there and unfortunately with the global financial crisis they all started closing and Melbourne had a similar story a very very similar story where studios like that started closing and I think that's why this community has been created because everyone had the same experience where they were being made redundant they were being like having their kind of you know whole world turned upside down having to make decisions do they move overseas or do they stay in Melbourne and try and build it again so I've been like I've told this story so many times especially to people overseas that don't understand the differences we have in Australia like we have we it's it's hard to make video games here we don't have the support of our government necessarily all the time we don't have the subsidies that some countries do so it's expensive to make games here um, but on the flip side we have amazing people so and we've got such a vibrant indie scene exactly we're yeah. kind of world famous for it now yeah that's and, interesting and it is it is incredible and the government is slowly realizing that that you know, and things like Forbes, and that's why Forbes mm. is so important because people know what Forbes is. My mum mm. knows what Forbes is. Oh, so finally the validation yeah. has been achieved. <laughs> yeah, it's, Somebody it's should really be- interesting. Like we, um, Armello, the game I work on, was nominated for an IGF award last year, which is like... Such an achievement. Which is a huge, like that's a huge thing, but most people don't know mm. what the IGF awards are, but to us that's actually like one of the biggest, like, compliments we could receive Um, but people know what Forbes is. So let's take you back a little back to when you were in Brisbane and uh, you know that your part you co-founded this Girl Geek Academy which is a startup encouraging women to learn technology and launch their own businesses. So how did you get into technology without something like the Girl Geek Academy? Um, I I was very um, fortunate. I had parents that were really into technology. My father was always really into it. So he always had laptops and computers. So I started getting really interested in it from a young age. In primary school, I had a computer and had a laptop, so I was playing games, but I didn't really understand any of that. I, I remember in my grade seven, um, like, journal or yearbook or whatever it was, I had written down that I want to work in IT. I don't think I knew what IT was at that time. I said I wanted to do that. I wanted to work in IT and I wanted to buy my mum's car. That was like my two things that I wanted for my life. Solid goals. Yeah. Nice. I didn't ever buy my mum's car. <laughs> Which is probably still the best. Yeah. So that's what I wanted. And I went to high school in Brisbane um, at a small all-girls high school that didn't really have an IT program. The IT program, I learned everything 
I already knew most of the skills that they were showing us and I kind of was just left on my own to build websites and make things on my own. So I didn't really learn anything and I was kind of disheartened from that. I was kind of like, I don't really understand what this is. People were telling me to do science. People were telling me to do like law and all those things. So I went and studied business and I was like, cool, this is what I'm meant to do for the rest of my life. And then I realised that that's... I had a conversation with my mum and she was like, I don't care what you do as long as you're happy. And when I realised that that was... It's hard in Brisbane because it's like there's a set path. You finish high school, go to university, get married, have kids. And that's not what I wanted. So then I was looking at other courses. So I studied music for a year because I was like, I'm going to be a musician and that's going to be awesome. And it wasn't awesome. (laughs) Uh, It was actually soul-destroying and really upsetting. And so I went back to the drawing board again. So this is like, obviously, without any support, I had to keep knocking my head against the wall again and again. And it wasn't until I realised that there was game design courses. I'm like, I like video games. What is this course? And it was a game design course. And then I started looking into it because as a gamer at that time, most people, you don't realise that games are made by people. I didn't realise games were made by people in Australia. I didn't realise that people, like two two or three people could make a video game together. I thought there were churned out from a big machine over in the States. Yeah. Someone pressed a couple buttons and Call of Duty came out and then there was a pizza like next to it as well. Like it's just, I thought that's what how it worked. And then I started studying it at QUT in Brisbane and they kind of opened, it opened everything. I was, as soon as I realised what, what could happen, I kind of just went from there and that's how everything kind of, as soon as I realised what I wanted to do, I've never really looked back from there. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been hard because obviously it took a long time. But yeah, it's exciting. Um, one of the things that came up uh, at a conference last week and then uh, I guess obviously since November as well um, with what's going on in the States mm-hmm. is the diversity in technology yes, and technology yeah. and how um, lots of different people can come together to make stuff. What's been the, um, I guess, the single sp- biggest lesson for bringing women into technology? What's, what's the easy way to break down barriers and get people into the same room and get them talking mm-hmm. about common topics? H- how, do, how do we get people together, even if there are barriers like you know, immigration to the States mm-hmm. or being in Brisbane or... Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing for me is like to explain to people is when you realise that diverse teams, there are studies and there are papers that show that diverse teams mean better products and better profits and bottom lines for the companies. There's companies out there, big companies like IBM and Telstra and Optus, they all know this because there's been research put into it and it's not, it's no longer a thing that you can argue. People say that diversity is difficult diversity is hard diversity takes time and costs money it actually doesn't we're actually at league of geeks a big thing for us is diversity so we've been hiring for like the last three months and we are looking at potentially getting in the future we want to get 50 50 um, for gender and we're looking at our projections and it looks like we could potentially do it sooner rather than later and it's such a great time to be talking about this. We haven't, um, yeah. Just today in in the Fin Review, Envato have been uh, called out as the most profitable startup <laughs> in Australia. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's tremendous. They've got such a great record on mm-hmm. diversity. They've got um, diversity even at their co-founder level, mm-hmm. which um, is, is looking like, you know, it's quite an important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you tell your Geek Girl Academy when, when you're coming to people? And sort of what, what stage are people at when they're coming to those sort of meetups? Yeah, generally... Um, generally the people that attend our events um, they fit into two different kind of areas either one they're just finishing university or and they're looking to try and figure out where they want to go or they're mid-career and they're trying to figure out where they want to go next 
So generally we have these two types of women that come to us and they're looking for something else. They're either looking to network and potentially move jobs or they're looking just to make friends and that's a big thing that we've been focusing on with how we approach diversity. It's not necessarily about learning a new skill. It's actually about making friends so that when you are looking to move somewhere, it's not as scary. The biggest thing with, I think, diversity is fear and and the imposter syndrome that we always talk about and not knowing if the company that you want to work for next is welcoming to someone like you. And having that friend or having that ally within a company makes things so much easier and so much more approachable to work in a, and work in a company. So, yeah, that's that's... That's what we try and do and I think that's been it's shown how successful it is from the amount of people that come back again and again to our events even though they've done that event they come back again because they know they'll meet someone different this time uh, how do you get past the kind of um, uh, sort of um, filter filter bubble of kind of same people same ideas same rooms mm-hmm. um, how do you how do you permeate these sort of institutions yeah. that are run by men thinking for men <laughs> You know. I just ignore them. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's there's definitely um, – it's hard because the, I, I'm really, I really struggle sometimes because I'm actually – I'm in this bubble of the games industry and the games industry is actually super, super progressive. And mm. so most of the time, most of my days, I don't have that. I don't get faced mm. against that that much. Um, so I really – day to day I don't really have that problem which is mm. which is obviously a really really good problem to have but obviously there will be discussions that I have with people that still don't understand diversity or understand why it's important um, and I think I just approach it in the fact that I know from my experience like a lot of the time the the people that you know are opinionated towards me are men and it's like it's it's fair enough for them to be angry and fair enough for them to be frustrated with you know women trying to take over video games. Well, it's understandable. It's not yeah. necessarily it's, yeah. fair, but yeah. it's understandable. It's understandable, but then like I I I know in my head what I'm about, so I don't really feel. I try and explain them. I give them a little while to try and explain it to them, mm. but then generally, if they don't get it. You know, I think it. um, <laughs> it's interesting. We, we've definitely been focused on gender diversity for the conversation so far. But um, the studies that you mentioned before really do bear out that all kinds of diversity lead to improved decision making in, you know, uh, better profits, mm-hmm. a better bottom line, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So that should be something we're all striving for. Um, have you had uh, much interaction with allies and have you sort of used them much when you've been trying to achieve better diversity? Yeah, definitely. I've been very, very fortunate in the fact that my bosses, so the directors of my company at League of Geeks, they are three white men and that's fine. But those three white men are some of the most passionate and like they fight for diversity because they know how it looks when you go to their the website and you see that the directors are three white men. They are mm. totally aware of that. And I, I've been very fortunate to work with them and call them out on stuff sometimes, but mostly help them get their message across because they want diversity just as much as I do, which has been really, really refreshing because I have worked at companies in the first that, in the past that don't understand that and that's obviously very difficult. Um, but working with a company where it's just it just makes sense and it's part of everyday life, it's, it's really, really, it just makes everything easy. It don't, you don't have to fight for anything. There's nothing you have to argue for. It's just a natural discussion that we have. Yeah. So, uh, just before you do do go, um, we will 
probably be talking about Girl Geek Academy during the course of the year. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a, a peek as to what might be coming up this year or, or what young women out there thinking of making games or being involved in games yeah. um, can get involved in? We have a lot of events this year. So we've been really lucky to receive a few different grants this year to help us really amplify our events this year. Um, so we'll be running Miss Makes Code, which is aimed at high school students, um, specifically, obviously, girls, um, teaching them how to make and code robots, our Miss Makes Bots. Mm. So we'll be running that throughout Victoria and Australia this year. Um, we haven't finalised how that's going to look yet, but that's that's happening. Mm. Um, and we're also running She Hacks Victoria, which will be for um, females attending universities. So basically a hackathon that runs over a couple of days where they get to make projects and form companies over a weekend. Um, and I'll be running She Makes Games again at the end of the year to coincide with Melbourne International Games Week. So, Fabulous. Yeah. And from a League of Geeks perspective, mm-hmm. um, what would really excite you if it could happen this year? Oh, I don't know. We've got we've got a new product coming out very soon. So we are bringing Amelo to iPad. So that's been in the works for like six years. Oh, so that's really exciting. To finish exciting. that, that'd be really nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, this decade. Yeah, no, we've got, we're showcasing again this year at PAX East. So I'll be heading over to PAX East in Boston in a couple of weeks. So that's the next really big, exciting thing for us, which is always fun to go to a different country and show people, show strangers our game. <laughs> Lizzie, congratulations on uh, your, you. your start to the year. And uh, yeah, we look forward to, to hearing more from what you've been up to. Excellent. Thanks very much. Uh, we are aiming to give you only highs tonight, and as part of that, uh, we are joined in studio by adjunct professor Julie Fisher, uh, who is part of the Faculty of Information Technology at Monash University here in Australia. Uh, she has worked and conducted research in uh, information systems uh, field for the last 20 plus years. Uh, so she probably knows a few things uh, about what we're going to talk about. Um, fortunately, uh, her book, Digital Divas, Putting the Wow into Computing for Girls, uh, won the 2016 Leonie Warren Prize. And she joins us in the studio. Julie, thanks for coming in. It's great. Thank you. Uh, so it would have been a labour of love. Obviously, this project has been going for a little while, but the the, the book itself, um, you may not have done it by yourself. It may have felt like a team effort. What's, what's your role in the book and, and bringing it all together? Well, the projects, well, I guess any woman who has worked in the IT industry has an interest in the whole area of gender and IT because, as Lucy mentioned before, it's... And, oh, my God, you know, she works at the hardest end of IT in games. So the passion's been there for a long time and the four of us, the four team members, had all been secondary teachers, all interested in IT and all interested in gender and IT. So that's really where it started. And then we were fortunate enough to get a a good-sized grant. You need money to do the research. And the research that underpins the book... Sorry, my voice no, is feel, fading in and out because it's a virus. Feel free to cough or have a sip of water um, if you want to. The research that underpins the book was a three-year project. So it was quite a long project. And then, of course, you know, somebody had the bright idea of writing a book. <laughs> so um, the, the basic premise of the, um, is, of the project is that um, to encourage uh, girls into IT, um, teaching them in a class mostly um, with girls or only with girls. Um, and this and was at the secondary level? Yeah. This yeah. is at the secondary level. There's been a lot of research around how, around interventions and particularly in this space. And the one thing that came up time and time again is that one two-day interventions, which most of them have been, 
aren't successful in changing... They're successful in changing girls' minds over the course of a couple of days, even maybe a week, but that fades with time. So we wanted something that was going to constantly reinforce the messages we were trying to bring to girls. And so we devised a program that's a series of teaching modules. We implemented it in 10 secondary schools across Victoria and one in New South Wales. And it, the subject ran in class, was assessed by... Um, assessed and um, and we worked with the teachers in those schools. They were fantastically collaborative and cooperative in what they were doing with us. The classes were all girl classes. That we decided was really important because boys can be noisy and smelly and disruptive and all those things. And that was really the principle behind it, that if we could develop materials that engaged girls and we reinforced the messages over a period of more than 12 plus weeks, we had a chance of changing their minds about IT as a career for, for, for them. So when you initiated this this three-year research project out in the field, it's very practical, um, what sort of assumptions did you did you bring to those classrooms? Oh. <laughs> she sounds like somebody who read my book. <laughs> um, read our book. That we actually started with a number of assumptions and we built our research around those. Mm-hmm. Um, we assumed that over delivering a program over a period of time would change girls' minds. We assumed that the modules we developed would excite their interest. We assumed that we could improve girls' confidence, um, self-efficacy in using technology. We assumed that girls would do better in an all-girl classroom. And at this point, I've run out of what the other mm. three assumptions so were. That's, so we've got four assumptions there already. Did you have to throw any of those out with a bit of experience or did they were they borne out through the research? They actually were all borne out through the research. We were pretty pleased. But there was a lot of background research getting to the point of even having the assumptions. And we right. spent a lot of time working on those assumptions. So let's unpack the one about, you know, that you could design programs that girls were into, that they'd be interested in. What sort of projects did you develop that you thought would interest them more than the regular, you know, find your way around a word bar type of <laughs> type of IT training that I experienced? Well, if we wind back a little bit, a lot of IT in schools are taught by maths and science teachers typically male and typically focusing on programming. It's not something girls are necessarily engaged in unless you do it in the right way. Girls like to work collaboratively and they like to be creative, but they also like a career that has a social purpose. So again, one of our assumptions was that we could change girls' minds and the stereotypes to basically bust those myths about IT. 
and it not just being about programming and... And being solitary. And being solitary. Mm. So to give you some examples of some of the modules, the first one that we encourage schools to do was to develop a logo and that involved using a graphics package. The logos were then... we, We paid for this out of the research money. It wasn't very expensive, but they became um, key rings or magnets or lanyards. Uh, And some of the little um, logos the girls came up with are just gorgeous. In fact, one of them's on the cover of the book. That That was one of the girls' logos. So that involved getting into the graphics. It engaged them creatively and they worked in pairs to design that. We had another module which was called Myth Busting. This required the girls to script, storyboard and film a video that busted the myth about IT and the stereotypes. And then they had to edit it. A fair amount of effort in that. To get a little bit more into the programming side, there's a program developed out of Carnegie Mellon called Alice Programming. Yes, yes. And Alice Programming focuses on teaching programming through storytelling. Must admit, the girls still weren't very enthusiastic about (laughs) programming, but never mind, we tried. But also we did spreadsheets and they had to design a menu for a restaurant. And in doing that with a spreadsheet, they had to use... V lookups, um, insert radio buttons, do complex formula. And we're talking about girls who are 13, 14 years old. Mm. So that's quite complex. Mm. I know adults who can't do V lookups. Mm. Yeah, and I've probably forgotten how to do it as well. <laughs> Look, it's okay to Google it every single time. Yeah, I think you're probably right. <laughs> so they're the sorts of things that we did. We had a, a secondary teacher helping us in the design of the materials and some of our teachers were really good as well. They adapted the materials. They built on the materials because, after all, it was their class. Have you been able to um, follow many of the early students who, who went through the through the program and have you kept tabs on them? That was another assumption, now <laughs> that I'm reminded. Another assumption was that the messages that we gave them, that over time would stay with the girls. We had... Um, we had mentors and um, industry women come in and speak as well to try and really get the message across. Two years after we... Well, 12 months after we finished, we followed up with girls who'd completed the program two years and or 12 months prior to that. Now, we only managed to be able to get... 33 girls across the schools in focus groups but we were pretty impressed with what they remembered what really surprised me was they still got the idea that IT was for girls we certainly got across the message that it's not geeky it's not just about programming and they remembered that but they remembered the speakers they remembered the women who came in and spoke that I think surprised me a lot that happens in all kinds of education. Um, people who are kind of somewhere in a program or drifting along in some direction and then somebody comes in and intervenes and says, the reason I do it is mm. because of this and they're five or ten. You know, the closer the age, the better. Pe- 
I, I hear those stories all the time from... Yes, and, and the fact it's reinforced by what we were teaching them. It, mm. was, it was just fabulous. So it's so great that you were able to not just run this program and get a grant to do so, but also that you could publish a book about your findings. Have you had any feedback from people around the world who might have taken on some of the lessons in the book? Yes. In fact, only a couple of weeks ago, I had an email from a fellow in Queensland who's interested in running the program in his school. He's a deputy principal. Uh, And so I've had email conversation with him. It's a funny thing when you're writing a book like that, because you ask yourself, who's the audience? We asked ourselves as the authors, is it schools? Is it other researchers? It was a bit of both. So it's a book that is can be used by um, schools and it's now open access and freely available from the Monash University Publishing website. That was really important to us because writing a book, you don't make any money. (laughs) You might as well get as many brownie points from people reading it and citing it. Uh, and, And so I think that's good for schools, but it's also really good for the researchers. But A number of the schools in Victoria that we ran the program with have continued to run it. Oh, that's great. Even without our support. We paid for um, female IT students, university students, to go into classes once a week because we figured they were closer to the girls' ages Mm. and that worked really well. The girls were prepared to talk to them and they'd ask them about what they were studying, why they were doing IT and that kind of stuff. You're making me think of an interview we had last year with um, Beck Spink and Will Egan who are from Code the Future, which is an organisation that tries to put programmers and other IT specialists actually in the classrooms with people. And I wonder if they've come across, you, you know, your research at any point. We'll have to revisit that with them at some point because they're always doing great programs. Yeah. Look, there are a lot of programs out there. It's just unfortunate that most of them tend to focus on programming. I I know when I went back, my first degree is in arts, right? Yeah. Um, And I re-qualified and I loved robotics. And I think girls would like robotics and they probably wouldn't realise they were programming. Yeah. But straight coding... I'm not in sure. I'm not a, not sure really engages girls. I know that Alice they found really challenging. Yeah, I think at a certain point, uh, you know, it starts being really impossible to, to generalise at, at the girl level, and it, and it requires just a little bit of serendipity, doesn't it? Yeah, just, you know, and the, I think you've right just got to influences. Yes, you've just got to offer variety. Yeah. You've got to really give them a, a broad spectrum, get them out of that that idea that it's working alone, geeky, just about programming. Mm. What's uh, what's next for you now that you've kind of captured this part of the, the project? Is it um, extending it further or is it doing something slightly different? I've The other interest that I've got, well, I've got lots of research interests and I'm technically retired, but <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> well, know that. That never, that never stopped anybody. No, no. no. I, I have a broader interest in gender and IT, so women, women in IT, and I've collected data over a number of years and another colleague and myself have got to do something with that so I've really got to get back to that data particularly looking at women in the workplace and what keeps them in IT because we've got the problem not only do we suffer from not having enough women into the industry and I think as you pointed out in your interview with Lucy the industry needs women and it's 
better for business if there are more women, and we know that. But women also leave. Yeah, that's right. So it's not just a pipeline issue, which um, say yes. this book is addressing, but also how do we how do we retain people, and particularly when we're told how many careers we're going to be having in our lifetimes these days. So many. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that sounds very fascinating. Uh, Julie, thanks for coming in. We really appreciated uh, talking about this. And uh, yeah, when you get to a conclusion with your, your next bit of data, um, we'd love to hear what you found out. That would be good. Thank you very much. Um, we have just a few minutes left on the first show for Bite Into It of the Year. Um, we wanted to talk about uh, haters. Um, Vanessa. Um, it's, it's not like us to talk about haters, but this was kind of cute. Now, a- what, was, what was your expression for this story, Warren? Uh, well, haters are going to date. Yes, um, they are. I think that's beautiful. We all know those people out there who um, could be out there in the market. Um, they're, they're an amazing catch, but for whatever reason, they just don't like the technology <coughs> or the way it forces them to do stuff they don't like. So We, we could even be in the room with one of those, those Quite possibly. You know, shockingly single people. Not that there's anything wrong with being single, Dan. None whatsoever. On yeah. the day after Valentine's Day, I enjoyed sitting at home and not watching Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm coupled up and I sat at home and watched Netflix. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but I didn't have to negotiate with anyone. <laughs> ah, I win. Compromise is a beautiful thing. Haters going to date. So uh, where would haters go if they if they hated OkCupid okay and what are the other ones? What, what are dating apps nowadays? Uh, you've got uh, RSVP uh, and... Uh, apps. You've got Bumble, E-Harmony. you've got Tinder, you've got... Um, there you go. Uh, Grinder for some people. Grinder for some and um, Blender for others. Mm. Uh, somebody Does it blend? Takes on a whole other mm, meaning. Let's just leave it at that, shall we? <laughs> somebody <laughs> has come up with the, the genius idea that uh, there's a lot of people out there who bond over things that they don't like. Um, this particular app, um, <laughs> when you log in, um, you're presented with a series of topics or subjects. Uh, you can either love, like, dislike or hate oh. uh, as they show up. So, for example, uh, this particular journalist got things like socialising with co-workers, um, do we want to vote on this one? Socialising with co-workers. Um, I have amazing co-workers, which mm. is the only thing I could say while on live radio, and mm. um, but it's also true. Mm. And I'm okay with socialising with them. Yeah, I'm self-employed, so I love working with my co-workers. Um, got nothing but good things to say about your co-workers. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that's, that's a different app. I like that too. Maybe there's something else that we can hate here. Uh, butt selfies. Hating, liking, hating, hate, butt selfie, as in butt selfies, selfies of butts. Yeah, selfies yeah, no. Butts. I, well, I mean, that's the first I've heard of it, but it sounds repulsive. Wow. Although, funnily enough, it seems almost more logical than face selfies because it's harder to see your butt in the mirror. Um, it does make more sense. Yeah, now, there's something logical about it, but let, I'm going to hate anyway. Let's push things a little bit here. Um, maybe an easy one. Tom, Tom Brady for any football fans. Don't have any feelings. I have no I'm idea nothing him. who okay. that is. Who is he, that? Is it New England Patriots, the guy from the Super Bowl? Yeah. That sounds about right. I'm yeah. like, what sort of football are we talking about? Um, and another another ball sport, playing music during sex. I think it's essential, isn't it? Not always. I just suppose it depends on the context. Yeah. <laughs> These questions are too personal for radio, Warren. Too, too personal for radio. Well, see, I, I like this idea that you're connecting over things that you don't enjoy because... Yeah. As, as, as a card-carrying misanthrope, I can say that I have a far more interesting and animated conversations about the things that I dislike than the things that I love. Interesting. And, and that's, it's, the, it's, that's the reason it's a good So argument. this is the likes and dislikes define us as people argument. Mm. Well, I mean, uh, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's an interesting way to, um, to start it's off. It's a start. A, I mean, it's look, something. If you think back to, you know, your 
teen years and your mid to late 20s, all of your friendships basically started on what music you liked and whether or not you liked the same music as the people you were friends with. Let's be honest here. So it's, it's kind of the, the natural old person extension of that. It's been a fun show tonight, uh, blowing off those cobwebs and uh, and having a chat about the stuff that, that we all uh, that we all enjoy. Um, and don't, by the sound of it. <laughs> and don't. Um, we all enjoy radio and technology. Um, thanks very much to our guests, uh, Lizzie Kane, uh, who came in and is doing great things, and also to Julie Fisher, um, who's um, got a, a different take on the same uh, the same issues or some of them there. Um, I think we should do it again next week. I think we should find some people and do it again. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. And up next is Anthony Carew with International Pop Underground. So you should definitely stick around for that. We'll be back next week. Good night. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.